Welcome to Challenging Silence, a podcast by Women's Health in Women's Hands Community Health Center. We are back again to have much needed discussions about topics related to female genital mutilation or cutting with survivors, advocates, and community members. We're your hosts, Tommy Lola and Sauda. Challenging Silence is brought to you by The Flourish Project, made possible through funding from Women in Gender Equality Canada. You can listen to this podcast series on all major podcast listening platforms and our website, flourishaccess.ca. Please note that this podcast covers topics of sensitive nature, including domestic abuse and violence. To ensure privacy and safety, some guests have chosen to remain anonymous. This podcast is age-appropriate for 16+. predominantly Muslim communities that practice FGMC, it has been linked with Islam and the belief that every Muslim woman must be subjected to it is very common. However, Islam does not advocate for this harmful practice and there are no religious scripts that promote or prescribe it. In this episode, we will debunk the myth that FGMC is an Islamic practice and explore how communities can make a shift towards eradicating the practice. We are joined by Fahim Khan, an imama and co-founder of the Women's Mosque of Canada, which was founded in the spring of 2019. Women's Mosque of Canada is committed to raising the status of women in their faith and their communities and is established to ensure that women within Islam and in broader society have equal rights. We are so glad to have this conversation with Fahim. She is a leader who stands against all forms of violence and oppression against women. Welcome Fahim and please tell our listeners a little bit more about yourself. Thank you so much for the opportunity and hello everyone. My name is Fahim Khan and I am the Imama and co-founder of the Women's Mosque of Canada. I've also been an advocate against the issue of violence against women for over 20 years, and I've worked in a series of women's shelters and rape crisis centers over that period of time. I continue to, um, you know, really focus my work on the issue of religious abuse and honor-based violence, and I'm very honored and um, to have this opportunity to speak about the the topic at hand. Thank you, Farheen, and welcome once again. We'll get started by asking, as a leader within the Muslim community, can you shed light on your perspective on Islam and FGMC? Sure. So I would say that, you know, when I talk about FGMC, I approach it with three different sort of lenses, if you will. First being that I'm a Muslim woman. Second, that I am, you know, heading up the Women's Mosque of Canada as the only female imam in Canada at this moment in time. And that... I also take a look at it from the perspective of being an, a violence against women advocate that's been in the field for over 20 years. With all of that in mind, I would say to you that there is absolutely no justification for FGMC in the Islamic tradition. 
that it is a, uh, a horrific act. Um, in fact, in 1997 in Canada, it was actually declared to be an aggravated assault against young women. And there's absolutely no place for that within the tradition. It's absolutely and completely a form of violence against women and abuse and is all about controlling women's bodies. And that is absolutely unacceptable. Thank you, Farheen. Well said, you provided the the true facts about FGMC and its stance here in Canada. It There really is no justification for the practice and it only harms women's body. It has no benefits. And we do know that in Canada, it is illegal and considered aggravated assault to perform the act or to take a child abroad to have the act performed on her. And our hope is that um, we continue to see the eradication of FGMC and more and more communities who are impacted uh, become aware that uh, there is no need to continue this custom and tradition. And rather, we should be celebrating women and transition to womanhood through other custom and traditions that are not harmful. That's correct. I would just say to that also that in terms of, you know, the the, the rationale often can be that it's a way to, you know, ensure that a woman remains chaste or that um, you know, she's not a distraction to the men. That is absolutely false. I think men have to take responsibility for their own actions. And then a woman's body is not, uh, you know, quote unquote, uh, cannot be used to justify their behavior, right? Uh, women have to, women have every right to have complete autonomy over their bodies and be treated with dignity and respect and honor. And nobody should be in a position to to try and uh, tamper with or mutilate or cut a woman's body in order to justify any sort of religious reasons for that. Most definitely, you're correct that there should be more focus on men taking responsibility on their part, and it should not always be falling on women. And that goes for any form of gender-based violence. There tends to be more of a focus on survivors and women and what they can do to prevent this from happening but there tends to not be enough focus on violence prevention. There should Men should be involved in that conversation. And men, there have actions that they need to take to prevent violence against women. Absolutely. Thank you for sharing. The next question is, what efforts have been made to address the issues of FGMC within the Muslim community? Well, I would say that, um, you know, there have been uh, a few discussions that I've seen, um, mainly from women-focused organizations and also more so mainstream organizations than there have been within the Muslim community specifically. I think that has a lot to do with, you know, even more broadly, if we say, I believe that FGM falls under the realm of religious abuse. So even within that context, a lot of uh, discussions don't take place, right? It's very taboo. There's not enough uh, discussion about these issues. And so I think it's so, so important that we we acknowledge the need to have those conversations and to actually address them in community, because the work that has been done up until this point is just not enough. Yeah, I completely agree. I believe like organizations and larger than that need to make more actions in regards to FGMC. Yeah. And in your experience, how can religious leaders and institutions play a role in raising awareness about the physical and psychological harms associated with FGMC within the Muslim community, as well as how they can play a role in ending of the practice and empowering survivors? 
Well, I think there's a big role they can play, right? I think as religious institutions, you know, leaders that are, you know, standing at the the mimbars, the pulpits, if you want to call it that, have a, a huge responsibility and they have a lot of power. They can absolutely talk about the fact that, you know, I feel like there's three things that have to happen. Number one is we raise awareness, explain to the general population, as well as women, what the challenges are and why it's not a practice that is at all justified within the tradition and that, you know, it's unacceptable for it to happen. But also the impact that it has on women's lives, both their physical, you know, physical health, their their mental health, their psychological health. I mean, if you cut a person's piece of a person's body, the level of trauma we can't even imagine one would experience with that. And then on top of that, the physical complications that come into play and so on. There's so much to we have to think about. And some women, young women we know don't even survive. They end up dying because of the complications that they experience. So how can we ensure that we protect our young women and ensure that they remain safe? Because this is not a justified practice in the tradition. It has to be so, so clear to people that this is not acceptable. And then the, th- the next thing is, is that it can't just, it's not enough to just educate, right? It's not enough to just educate. There has to be intervention. There's prevention and then there's intervention. If women are experiencing this type of, you know, these, as we, we've heard from the Canadian, you know, criminal code, aggravated assaults experiences, then they need to be able to also get out safely from those experiences. And if that means having to intervene and providing them with that safety, and that out, then that has to also be done. We need to think about protocol and how we can ensure that the women remain safe. We also need to think about the third part of that, which is basically, you know, so it's like, how do you support them to get out? And then how do you support women who've actually been through it already? How do you support them in being able to not only get the physical healing that they may require, but the psychological healing that might be associated with that as well, that would be needed, absolutely be needed after going through an experience like that. So I think it's one thing to prevent it, it's another to intervene, and then the third is to act. So act as in A, provide healing and safe space, safe spaces and support for survivors, and B, speak up and speak out. If you see it happening in your family, it's your responsibility to try and end that cycle, right? And, and be able to vocalize that this is not acceptable and that this should not happen. We can't just turn a blind eye to people in our community, in our families to say, okay, well, you know, so-and-so auntie over there is doing such and such, but I'm not going to intervene because it's not my job. No, it is your job, right? It is our collective responsibility to make sure that young women are protected and that they remain safe. uh, And that we have to be clear, this is not a religious requirement. God does not need or want women to be cut up in order to satisfy being a good Muslim woman or to ensure that their partners or the men in their families can maintain that they're better Muslims because the women are chaste. That is not at all what is required in our tradition. Thank you for that. Three great points that you you brought up. I, I totally agree with those. Religious leaders do have a lot of power within their community as many people do seek guidance and advice from them when they're facing either through difficult times, when they're going through good times. So it is very important that that they use their position of power and leadership to the benefit of the community by speaking out, as you said, not just educating, 
but also um, intervening. And they can definitely do that by partnering with community organizations that yeah. do provide intervention, support, and care for women who have A, are either fleeing violence, who have experienced violence, or who are at risk of experiencing violence. You definitely brought up some very, very good points about how religious leaders can do their part to help women who have experienced any form of gender-based violence. I agree. And I think that that's a really important piece that you mentioned. I speak from a place of being a religious leader myself and, and knowing that at the Women's Mosque of Canada, we do do those three pieces when it comes to religious abuse and honor-based violence. We're doing education, prevention, education, intervention, and reintegrations. Absolutely, there are players in the community that are doing the intervention work. And it's, it's really important to know who they can refer to to make sure that that work is happening in a way that is sensitive and supportive of survivors and women, and that those with the expertise are actually being brought in to do that work. So, I mean, certainly at the mosque, we're doing our part to support women that are dealing with some of these cases. You know, when it comes to the broader issue of me, religious abuse and honor-based violence, but I do, I do appreciate what you said in terms of us not having to reinvent the wheel or take the full responsibility on, but it is important for those that are standing at the minbars or the pulpits, or if you want to describe that, that they take the time and use their voices to make sure that people in community know that this is not appropriate and that those who need the support can go to the right resources to be able to get the support they need. Very well said. And we're, we're happy to hear about the work that is being done at your organization. Thank you. Thank you, Fahim, for joining us in this thought-provoking episode where we explore the complexity of FGMC with religious beliefs and practices. We've heard how FGMC is perceived within Islamic practices and how interpretations of religious texts have shaped attitudes towards this practice. We've also discussed the significant role that religious leaders and institutions play in either perpetuating or challenging FGMC, as well as the efforts to promote alternative interpretations and advocate for its abandonment. The insights shared in this episode emphasize the critical importance of informed dialogue, education, and collaboration among religious communities, scholars, and activists. Understanding this intersection is key to fostering change and protecting human rights and promoting practices that prioritize the health and well-being of individuals, especially women who are often at risk of experiencing violence. As we conclude this episode, we encourage you to continue to explore the complex relationships between religion, culture, and FGMC and to engage in conversations that contribute to a more informed and compassionate world. Thank you once again, Farheen, for joining us for this conversation. Mm-hmm.